Tonight here at Ground Zero Ministries, we're going to talk about a difficult subject this evening. And that subject is repent. You know, so often we hear that word, but yet we don't really understand it very well. One of the first things that was mentioned as Jesus was coming on the scene was repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. John the Baptist is a voice in the wilderness. You know, he's crying out in the darkness. Now how often have we been in dark places? How often have we been trying to get ourselves out of dark places and it just seems like no matter what we try to do, it doesn't work. You know, and to repent means that there's some aspect of grieving. I'm grieving over my decision. I'm grieving over my actions. And that there's a change of heart. But what it really means is a, a turn of direction. You know, I'm heading one way towards sin, and I repent, and it's almost like an about face. And now I'm heading towards God. Because I can't head towards God and head towards sin at the same time. You know, when I choose sin over Jesus, I'm choosing my way over His. Now, we're all guilty. Every one of us sins every day. Something we think, something we say, something we do. We're sinners, saved by grace. Now, I believe that we can make mistakes, per se, but I also think that there's times that we choose sin, and there, that's a little bit different. You know, in First John it talks about if any man says that he doesn't have sin, then he's a fool. But also in the same book it says that if you're living in sin, then you don't know Jesus. So how can I say that I don't have sin and still say I have sin? Like it seems like it contradicts itself in some level. But what it's really talking about is that I am a sinner, but I should not live in a lifestyle of sin. You know, many of us had lifestyles of sin pre-Jesus. You know, and we ran in the wrong direction pretty hard. You know, that when we repent of our sins, that we can't make this deal with God that says, well, I'm not that bad, but I'll give you this. And so often that's what we're doing. Well, I'll give you this little bit, Jesus, but I'm going to hang on to the rest of this because I don't think it's all that bad. That's not real repentance. Being sorry that you did something wrong is not repentance. Most of the time then when we come into this place of repentance, it's because somebody caught us doing something. So we're technically not repenting. We're just sorry that you caught me. Repentance is how you begin the journey of freedom. Many of us have an area that we're stuck in have been stuck in, been stuck in a long time. And yet, on one hand, I say I want Jesus, and in the other hand, I'm refusing to let go of whatever it is that I'm hanging on to. See, true re uh, repentance affects me as a whole person. It changes my entire view. See, many years I was attempting to try to get sober, and I could never really grasp it even though I could accumulate set amount of time. You know, and as I first began to, to come into the program of Alcoholics Anonymous many years ago, you know, I would say that I was an atheist. You know, and I was going to meetings and, and doing what I needed to do. And there was a, a woman that confronted me one day and said, all you do is complain. You're not doing anything to try to change your life. And I got mad and I complained about that lady. But the thing that started to happen, without me really realizing it, here's an atheist that started to hear God. Because every time I would go to complain about something, I'd hear a little voice that says, well, why don't you pray about it? Now, being an atheist and hearing a voice that tells you to pray about it, it makes you pretty angry. 
just so you know. But I did not recognize that that was the Holy Spirit. Even pre-Jesus, he was trying to get my attention. One day, being sick of myself, you know, you'll hear me say over and over again, I, I think that we all have areas in our lives that we don't like about ourselves, and yet we're still hanging on to them, trying to do it our way, trying to fix it, because we don't want to surrender. See, I had two areas back then that I knew there was no way that I could possibly change on my own. One of those was my anger. I was so enraged all the time, and the shame that I felt the things that have been done to me, the things that I have done, I knew that there was nothing I could ever do to make my shame or my anger go away. So either as an atheist, I'm going to deal with this for the rest of my life, or I'm going to start to pray about it. And one night in my bed, right before I went to sleep, I began to pray. And being so arrogant, I didn't say God, I didn't say... Jesus, I spoke it into the universe. Take my anger, take my anger, take my anger, and help me to forgive myself, help me to forgive myself, help me to forgive myself. That's exactly what I said. And then I waited for the atomic bomb to go off, and nothing happened. See, many of us have prayed about areas in our lives, and nothing happens in that moment. And what do we do? See, I know what it means to be desperate. See, being a drug addict and fiending for drugs, I will literally do whatever it takes to get what I want. See, I dialed up a prayer that day, 1-800-UNIVERSE, and nothing came back. No one answered the phone call, so I thought. See, when I'm desiring sin, I don't stop just because someone doesn't pick up the phone. I've called drug dealers over and over and over again, and they didn't pick up the phone. I've gone to their house. I've knocked on their windows at 2, 3 o'clock in the morning. I've asked random strangers if they could help me find something I'm looking for. And yet when it comes to me trying to change my life in one area, I put very little effort towards trying to change that. I just think that one day I'm going to wake up and it's going to be different. But yet, I will put so much effort into sin. See, I think that there's times that we think that we say this prayer and Jesus is going to go poof. All better. You're fixed. And I think a lot of times we think that Jesus is a genie and we can make wishes and he's supposed to give us what we want. And when he doesn't give us what he wants, we just, well, I might as well just stay right here because you didn't do it my way. You know, we play these games. You know, we tit for tat. Well, I'll give up this if you give me that. And you didn't give me this yet, so I'm not going to give it up that. And we make these agreements with God like we're on his level. See, repentance is truly taking God at his point of view instead of our own. But that means I have to lower myself and realize that he is my Lord, he is my master, he is my God. I am his son, servant. I am his. He owns me on some level. If I choose to accept Jesus for who he is, that he paid the ultimate price, he laid down his life for my sin, that that wages my sin was his death. There's this transition that takes place, that he gives me his righteousness, and he takes upon himself my sin. At that point, if I'm making this agreement with him, I now belong to the Father. I don't get to make new deals when I don't get my way. However, aren't we good bargainers? We like to make deals with God. But how come he never does it our way? Man, it seems like he would learn, don't you think? Doesn't it seem like he would learn that if he would just give us what we want, then we would behave better? Or is it that what we want is still trying to destroy us, and he knows that he's trying to protect us from ourselves? See, 
to truly repent, we need to turn away from sin, people, places, things, mindsets. And we have to turn towards God. But see, sometimes when we turn towards God, we don't really want God. We just want God to give us stuff. And if we're still trying to make deals with God, trying to get stuff, when we don't get our way, we find ourselves right back in the midst of it. You know, Ezekiel 18, 30 and 31 says, Repent, turn away from all your offenses, then sin will not be your downfall. Rid yourself of all these offenses that you have committed and get a new heart and a new spirit. See, there's a couple of great verses in Ezekiel that it talks about that we get a new heart, a heart of flesh, not a heart of stone. But it's not anything that we do. It's calling upon His name. See, why I love that so much is that's pre-New Testament. That's long before Jesus ever came on the scene. And yet God's speaking it into the land that there's a way to change. Call on me. Repent. Turn from your ways. I will change your heart. See, I believe that when we ask Jesus into our heart and we confess Him as our Lord and Savior, that there is a transaction that begins to take place. That in 2 Corinthians 5, it says that we're a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. See, I think that some of us, now this is my opinion, and you can find Bible scholars that will disagree with me, I'm sure of it. But it, but it makes the most sense to me. Because I've seen people use this verse, and it brings a lot of condemnation. Because if I'm supposed to be a new creation, the old is gone and the new has come, then I shouldn't have any problem with sin. Well, I disagree. I think that we're always going to have a problem with sin. Because I'm a sinner. But what I do believe is that pre-Jesus to one second after Jesus, I can do the same sin, pre-Jesus, no conviction. Post-Jesus, conviction. That's the new that's come. Because the old would have been fine with what I was doing. But now I can't get comfortable in my sin the way I used to. That means there's something new on the inside of me that wasn't there before. See, if I'm comfortable in my sin, then I have to challenge myself and say, am I really right with Christ? Am I even trying to get on the right path? Because I think that, you know, as, as we are born again, right? We're new babies in Christ. You can't expect a new baby to feed itself. You can't expect a new baby to wash itself. You can't expect a new baby to walk around. And by the time that they do get to walk, there's a lot of stumbling and crashing. They put a lot of stuff in their mouth they probably shouldn't. That's what new babies do. But as I grow in Christ, I shouldn't be being fed baby's milk anymore. That I should be able to be moving on to, to deeper things. See, I need to repent of these areas that continue to pull me down into areas that I can't feel comfortable anymore. See, I meet a lot of people in this transition that want freedom but yet want sin. And it, it reminds me of like trying to stay in the middle of a highway and cars are going by both, you know, full steam on both directions and it feels like I'm getting run over at the same time going both ways. I'm not happy in the world because I have this conviction and I'm not happy with Jesus because I won't let go of sin. And it feels like I'm getting run over for every which way. I can't find peace. So either I need to let go of Jesus altogether and just run back into my sin and hope that He just leaves me alone, or I need to truly repent and let go of and say, God, I am scared, but I'm coming your way. See, I don't think that... What a lot of us have been told our whole lives that, 
you know, God's trying to punish us and send us to hell is, is accurate. And I think that the fear that we have of God sometimes is not put in the right place. You know, I, I never understood, you know, the, the fear of God is the beginning of all wisdom. I couldn't wrap my mind around that. If I'm supposed to love him and follow him and, and worship him, why am I supposed to be afraid of him? And one day it hit me that as I grow with Jesus, I start to notice that he's around me a lot more than I ever did pre-Jesus. I start to see him in movies and songs and relationships and, and all sorts of things. God starts to pop up. But when I openly sin in an area that I've gotten some freedom in, it feels like he disappears. Right? You guys know what I'm talking about? But did he go anywhere? No, I don't think he really did. However, because he is holy, 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 when I enter and then allow sin into my life, his holiness has to back up. It doesn't mean that he left me alone. It means that he could kill me in my sin. That we see this, you know, in Acts, where people are lying about what they're doing and they say they're doing it for God and they didn't really do it for God and they drop dead. Now, is that because God's mean? I think no. I think it's because of his holiness. You know, we see it in the Old Testament too when the, the ark started to tip over and the guy put his hand out to try and stop it. He dropped dead on the moment. Why? Did God want to kill him? No, I just think that in his holiness, we can't step into that place. That's why we have to get covered in his blood, this transaction that has to take place. That he covers us in his blood, so in God's holiness, that we can be in his presence. However, there's a lot of times that i got one foot in and one foot out, and I try to shake it all about. You know, I try to get out of holiness so I can sin for a minute, and then I try to run back and be like, okay, it wasn't that big of a deal, was it? And I keep playing these games with God. Well, you know, it's not, I'll just, um, oh, one more time, you know, oh, come on, you know, what? You know, just, you know. And we, we wrestle and we give in to sin rather than give in to God. See, I don't think that God's trying to punish us. I think God is truly looking out for us because some of the sins that we choose bring a lot of damage mentally, emotionally, even physically. See, we have to turn from our sin and turn towards God and grab a hold of Him like we've grabbed a hold of sin and choose not to let go. But there's something that's it's crucial in the midst of this is that we have to trust Him. And I think a lot of times we don't trust Him. Well, if I turn from my sin and I, and I follow Jesus, is He going to give me what I want? Maybe not. Maybe He doesn't give you what you want. Ever. But isn't what we want Jesus? See, I think that because we try to bargain and we try to make deals, that we think that he's supposed to give me my best life now. And I've come to the conclusion that I may suffer in this life a lot. However, I'm suffering nowhere near I was pre-Jesus. I was tormented. My mind was in a vicious place. I was depressed and suicidal and addicted to many things. That there was not a moment of peace. And since I've accepted the Lord, He began to heal me of all my transgressions and He began to set my feet on solid ground and He began to, to renew my mind I realize that anything that happens at this point, as difficult as things may come, 
It's far better than it was pre-Jesus. Now we can go through some difficult times and walk with Jesus. You may lose a job. You may lose a loved one. You may have to, to live your life completely different than you ever thought you had you wanted to live because he's guiding you on a new path and, and you may not agree with it and it doesn't really matter what you think. Because you can resist him and go your own way, but for any of us that have done that for any length of time, we realize that that's not fun. And it's far better following him even when we don't like it than it is running our own direction trying to do it our way. I never would have imagined that this would be my life. Never. Fifteen years ago, if you were to try to convince me that this is what I'd be doing, for how long I've been doing it, no way. You could have not convinced me. You could not have given me a million dollars and said, now you're going to do this. And I'm like, no, nah, that ain't going to work. It just ain't going to work. I'll take the money, though. See, I had to, to get to this place where I understood that my way brought destruction. Anytime that I enforce Tom's will, I'm on a path of destruction. Anytime that any of us enforce our will, we are on a path of destruction. It's only when I let go of myself and say, I'm going to trust you and I take this step towards him, that peace begins to come. Because what I deserve is death. I don't deserve a good life now. See, Jesus makes this exchange with each and every one of us that he gives us his justification, justifies us. He gives us his, his holiness. And we give him our sin. See, what that gives us is eternal life. That... There's no way to really quantify eternal. It's a really long time. Like forever, ever, 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 ever. Long time. So I may have another 40, 50 years on this rock, which is a speck of dust when we're talking about eternity. I would much rather get the eternity thing right then figure out how to have my best life now. Now, there's some scary stuff when you really get into the to the Word of God. Because in Revelation it says that I don't know you. And he's going to spit us out of his mouth. It's better to be hot or cold than it is to be lukewarm. Now, That's scary to me. That what if I play this game as a Christian and not know when the day my death might come? Because none of us know. And that day may come and I stand before him and he's like, who are you? I'm a Christian. How? Well, I went to church. So, well, I sang some songs. So, I owned a Bible. So, aren't we to be Christ-like? That's what makes us Christians, is to be more Christ-like than we used to be. So if I'm trying to be a Christian and I look just like I used to, there's something in the process of that that doesn't make sense. It does not compute. Like, I can't have my foot in both places at the same time. Either I'm going towards God or I'm going towards sin. You know, and a lot of times we like the two-step shuffle. Like, I'll go a little bit towards God, and then I'll go a little bit towards sin. I'll go a little bit more towards God, but I really like my sin. And we go back and forth, don't we? You know, that we have to realize that there's parts of our sin nature that are still existing and it needs a lot more Jesus. 
And if I'm to do it Jesus' way, that means I can't do it my way. And if I'm not doing it my way, and I'm trying to do it His way, then I should be transparent about what's going on. Because either I'm doing it my way and I keep stuff in the darkness, or I'm doing it His way and things are coming into the light. As long as I'm hiding some area of my life, and I've got secrets, and I've got sin behavior, and I'm doing things that nobody knows about, that's not a Jesus thing. And we need to say, God, I don't want to do this anymore. And we truly need to repent. And repent means turn from our sin towards Him. But sometimes we have to grab a hold of the hands of the people around us and say, I can't do this anymore, I need your help. But usually when it's time to try to change, the hands that are trying to get us closer to Jesus are not the hands that we're trying to hold. We're trying to hold the hands that are dragging us back into sin and wondering why we can't get free. You know, when we accept Jesus, that his blood covers us, that the Father looks at us as he would look at his Son. We're declared not guilty. Jesus can take away our sins, but I also think that on some level we have to freely let them go. I think that he can use the consequences of our sin to, to pry these things out of our fingers. Because I remember sitting in a jail cell saying, you know what, I need to try and get sober. I think there's consequences to our sin that help us to have a real revelation that this isn't the life that I want to live. But the life that I want to live has this path of discipline and discipleship that he wants to take us on so that we can become who he's called us to be. See, Mark 8.35 says you must lose your life to keep it. Anytime that we try to hang on to that old life, doesn't it feel like it just we can't grasp, we can't get momentum, we can't get freedom, we can't get further along? Why am I doing this again? Why do I end up here again? Why am I still struggling with this? We have to really let go of our life and say, God, I'm ready to do it your way. And then we gain Him. As long as I'm trying to do it my way, it just feels like nothing's ever going to work. I believe that an important part of our discipline or discipleship is serving. I remember a long time ago, you know, as I was struggling and trying to get sober and I'm sitting in the AA meeting and someone would give me suggestions. I was so arrogant and prideful and foolish. Well, someone said, hey, you should go volunteer. I'm like, do they pay you for that? No joke. Like, I was a genius. And I remember being so selfish that I would not do anything for anyone unless you're paying me. Jesus had a plan. Tom, you're going to let go of your life and you're going to serve me. You're going to volunteer every day for the rest of your life. That's not what my plan is, Jesus. That's not, that's, not it. that's not part of the deal. It was part of the deal. And there's been great reward emotionally, spiritually, as I lay in bed at times and put my head on that pillow and I, I thank Jesus for the opportunity to serve Him. That you chose me. Out of all the people that you could have chose, you chose me to help that person today. Thank you for putting me in that place where I could be a light in someone's darkness. There's been many a times that I have tears of joy. After a long day of not wanting to do something. Hey, can you help me move? Oh, sure. I'd love to. Oh, my God. Jesus, why do you do this to me? 
and then you get there and you help. You show up and they don't even have a thing packed yet. They don't even have boxes. No truck. Not even a piece of tape. You got to be out today. Great. Just moving a couch, I was told. That's awesome. Here we go. And you get that person moved into their new place and they're starting a new chapter of their life and you go home tired and lucky if you got a piece of pizza. And you realize that Jesus just used you to bless somebody that didn't have a thing. They would have gave you a million dollars if they had it. But they barely just scraped enough money together to get the security deposit for that new apartment. And you're worried about yourself. And yet God puts you in these positions to love someone in the midst of their trials, in the midst of their heartache. Serving Jesus has been one of the greatest representations of Christ that he had done a heart change in me that I drag many of you with me as I do it. It used to be called volunteering, but now you're more like voluntold. Hey, we're going to do this. Oh, great. Thanks. I love this. This is a great idea. Thanks, Tom. Happy to serve. Because I, I know your heart doesn't have to be right in the, in the beginning of the process because my heart wasn't right in the beginning of the process. And at some point during the day, your heart begins to change and you realize what you're doing and you're like, okay, I get it. That first hour, they're kind of miserable. I think that it's important that we're speaking truth to people. But I think it's also important that we're speaking truth in love. Many of us can speak truth that isn't very loving. God showed me something many years ago. And I do my best to uphold this. Is that there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. So if I'm speaking words to someone that's bringing condemnation to them, then my words are not Jesus's. And I'm trying to speak truth and love. Doesn't mean you're going to like what I have to say. And I do my best not to bring condemnation to you. I do my best to, to speak truth in such a way that, that that sword pierces between the bone and the marrow, that it cuts off the sin and cuts you free so that you can be in righteousness. And I am not perfect. But I think the closer that we get to Jesus, that His grace begins to come through us that it's far easier to speak truth in love than it is to speak truth that brings condemnation. And that we're to love people. And that's really hard to do sometimes when we hate ourselves. You know, we're to love our neighbor, right? I always thought Moses got that messed up. Be like, hit thy neighbor in the face with a shovel would have been way easier to do. But see, Jesus not only says love your neighbor, he says love your enemy. You're like, Whoa, come on, Jesus, the neighbor's hard enough, let alone the enemy. He's like, come on. I think he, he puts us in situations where there is no possible way to do it apart from him. There is no possible way for this drug addict to get sober apart from Jesus. There is no possible way that I could get pure apart from Jesus. There is no possible way that I could love people apart from Jesus. And it goes on and on and on. He sets these things up that there is no possible way for me to do it in my own strength. I need Jesus. Which, which commandment is the greatest? Love God with all your mind, heart, and soul. Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, it's hard to love my neighbor when I don't love myself. It's hard to love God when I don't love myself. How does that work? I think in my journey as 
trying to figure this stuff out, people are telling me that Jesus loves me, and I'm like, yeah, I don't know about all that. Maybe he'll love me when I start behaving better. Like, no, that's not how this works, Tom. I'm like, I don't care what you think. I'm going on what I think because I'm a genius. Well, if you've repented of your sins and you're forgiven, no, I gotta prove that I'm different now. No, I just need to let it go. And I remember sitting in my apartment on State Street and I used to listen to Jason Upton and a song came on that says, let it go, just let it go, just let it go, just let the pain go, let it go, let it go. And it went on for like seven minutes. And I had this brilliant idea. She just let pain go. I don't know where it came from. I'm like, yeah, I think I'm going to do that. And I remember sitting up on the couch and I'm like, God, I'm going to let my pain go. And I swear it was like a transaction that took place. Because the weight had been lifted and I felt his grace for the first time. And I understood that he loved me in spite of me. And see, as I accept his love, I start to learn how to love him back. Because I have no idea what love really looks like apart from Jesus. And as I learn how to love him back, I begin to learn how to love myself. And as I learn how to love myself, I'm then able to love someone else. I think that word love gets thrown around a lot. And if it doesn't match what Corinthians says about love, it's not real love. Is it patient? Is it kind? Does it hold on to wrongs? Is it proud? Is it arrogant? There's a whole list of stuff that love looks like. I've never had a relationship that that represents that type of love. Except for this relationship with Jesus. See, I think that We accept Jesus and we think the race is over almost. Like, I get to go to heaven now. I'm good. And then we start praying for the rapture. So we can just go now. See, to me, when I accept Jesus, is like the starting pistol to a marathon. In the beginning, you're like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to go. And he's like, it doesn't matter what you want, Tom. Just come this way. And like any marathon, for some of us that don't like to walk more than 30 feet, running any sort of a race is not easy. I don't think that following Jesus is always easy. I think that there's some times that it's really challenging and difficult, and if it's apart from Jesus, I can't do it. See, in Luke 9, it says that I need to die to myself every day. I think it's 9, 23, and 24. That I die to myself every day and I pick up my cross and I follow him. See, we've dumbed that down. And every once in a while you hear somebody say it, and this verse pops in my head. Well, this is my cross to bear. Well, when they knew that they were picking up their cross, they were going to die. And the things that we choose to be our crosses is not a physical death. Like the apostles knew that if they're picking up their cross and following Jesus, that one day they were going to probably be nailed to that thing. See, we follow Jesus and we're still expecting our best life now. I think that if we had a better understanding that things are going to be difficult at times, and just because I accept Jesus doesn't mean I get candy canes and lollipops and I float around on a unicorn on a cloud, that there's going to be difficult days. But with Jesus, we'll get through it. 
I know for me, I have no idea. It's by the grace of God, really. But I have no idea how I survived pre-Jesus. It's a miracle. It's literally a miracle that I didn't kill myself, kill somebody else, die in OD. And why some people aren't here and why I am, I have no idea. We're going to have to talk to big guns when you get there. I don't understand why he does what he does. And I stop trying to figure it out all the time. Because it just drives me nuts. But I do believe that he's got a plan for us. And he does want to make us prosper. But as he spoke that to Jeremiah, he was going to go into another land. And he was going to be there a while. He said, make a house, get a family. You're going to be there a while. It's not going to be pretty. I think that he wants to use us strategically where we are. Some of you in your jobs, some of you in your family, some of you in school, some of you in your neighborhood. And it's going to be difficult at times. But a lot of the reasons we have a hard time talking to people that don't know Jesus about Jesus is because we're carrying this heavy load of sin still. And we feel like we would be a hypocrite if we tell them about Jesus. So what? We're a hypocrite anyway. Tell them about Jesus. There's never going to be a day I'm going to be perfect. There's never going to be a day that I'm going to wake up and be like, yo, I got this Jesus stuff down today. Yeah, I'm completely like Christ. So if that day doesn't show up in any of our days, like it doesn't happen, if we don't wake up Jesus, that means that we're still supposed to be Christ-like. That means that I'm going to not look like him perfectly. That means I need to put stuff at his feet and say, use me anyway. If we wait to be perfect to be used by Christ, then we're going to be waiting forever and never be used. There's a principle that I've learned in recovery is that you give it away to keep it. And some of you have learned this principle and they're called boomerangs. I speak something to you and as I hand it to you, it comes right back and hits me directly in the face. As I give it away, I need to now start living this principle. Oh, that's really great advice. Maybe I should take that. There's times that God uses our own words to convict us. There's no better way to learn something to try to teach it to someone else. And as you try to teach someone how to follow Jesus, hopefully you're speaking on the path as well. See, I think on some level we need to be turning to Jesus far more often than we do. I don't think that repentance is a one-time thing. I repent of my sins. I go to heaven now. I think that repenting of my sins, the quicker I'm repenting after I know that I've sinned, the quicker I can get back into understanding I'm still on the path. So often I've repented and I don't want to turn back to Jesus and I go on a detour. It's funny how there's been several people through the years that come and go from church, from GZM, from CR, from AANA. And it's so funny, even in my own life, where I left the path is where I find myself directly right back on it when I return. Like, oh, you're teaching about that again. That's exactly the same thing you were teaching on when I left a year ago. Like, hmm, interesting how God knew that you were needing to hear that again. I think that we need to be praying far more than we do. Just think, if we actually prayed every time we told someone that we were going to pray about it, man, we would be holy. I know I'm not the only one. I know I'm not the only one that says, well, I'll pray for you, and then totally don't. Confessions of a bad pastor. 
Or the times that, hey, do you want to do that? Well, I'll pray about that. I'm like, yeah, right, buddy, I'm not doing that. <laughs> I have one of those stories. It's fun. Jesus had a joke that he was playing on me. Someone wanted me to go on a mission trip to Jamaica, and I didn't want to go. Finally, I answered the phone and, and was like, oh, I'll pray about it. I'll talk to my pastor and pray about it. exactly what I said. So I said, God, I don't really want to go, but if you want me to go, I'll go. And I called Pastor Mike. He's like, oh, sure, Tom, I'll pay for it. That's not the answer I thought you were going to say. And then that 10-day mission trip turned into two months in Jamaica. Thanks, Jesus. You had a plan. You never know what he's willing to do or what he wants to do if we're willing. See, I think there's times that we want to turn our life over, but we're resistant because we don't know if we can trust him. And as a Christian, it's hard for me to say that I don't trust him. I'm supposed to trust him. I believe in him. He's God. He's my Lord. He's my Savior. Oh, you know. But in reality, why am I still running the show? Why am I still in complete control if I really trust God? Like, those things contradict itself. I can't follow him and do my own thing at the same time. Yeah, I think it has to be less about me and more about him. May I decrease so he may increase. Some of us have prayed that prayer. But then it comes with a cost. I have to actually decrease. I have to actually deny myself. I actually have to repent of my sins so I can follow him. Because I can't drag it all with me. But I believe that as we repent of certain sins, that we begin to overcome hurt, pain, areas in our past, things that have been dragging us down, emotional trauma, that he begins to give us victory in areas, and we didn't know that that was exactly how that was going to work, because we thought he was going to do it this way, this way, this way, and he decided to do it that way, this way, and that way, and we're like, this isn't going to work, and then it worked. Every one of us in here is sitting in a place of freedom that we didn't understand how we got there. And yet there's more freedom that needs to come, but we keep fighting them. Am I the only one? I know I'm not the only one, right? None of us got where we are by ourselves. He almost plucked us out and dropped us off. And we're like, yeah, I'm a good Christian. I did this all by myself. And Jesus is like, oh yeah, watch this. <laughs> and he sends us off into somewhere else. We're like, ah, this isn't what I wanted. But I think that he gives us victory in spite of ourselves. I think no matter how bad it gets, no matter how much we've sinned, no matter how much we still might be sinning, if we come to him and say, I can't do this anymore. And we really repent of our sins and ask him to forgive us. Ask him to take us along his will. But then he begins to speak certain things into that situation and that's what he wants us to do. We cannot do it our way after the repentance. We have to begin to do it his way. And his way is going to be difficult. His way is going to be hard. His way is not going to make sense. His way could be really hurting us. Why? Because he's circumcising our heart. He might be tearing a relationship away from you, and it feels like you're going to die. It's like, yeah, but you get me. But, 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 but. You're going to go around that mountain again, or are you going to trust me? We've all been there. You pray for things in my name and I'll give you the desires of your heart. Man, that's such a foolish thing to tell somebody in the early days of Christianity. I was praying about a girl. Come on, Jesus, give me this girl. I'm like, eh, no, that's not what that means, Tom. The desires of your heart are me, right? You get more of me. Yay. It's not what I wanted. I didn't want Jesus. I wanted a girl in Jesus' name. He had, he had a different idea of what that meant. I disagreed with him. He was wrong. No, I was wrong. And I had to come to understanding that getting more Jesus means getting more Jesus doesn't mean I get what I want. 
Now, I just want each person in here to know that there's so much grace available. Every single one of us has an area of sin that we're struggling with. Why? Because we're human. We're sinners. I don't want anyone to leave here feeling condemned because you can't get it. You're not supposed to get it. You're supposed to surrender and He gives it to you. There's a difference. There's an absolute difference. And if you're struggling in an area, I encourage you to talk about it tonight when we break into our small groups. Or get a hold of someone that you trust. Or get a hold of Pastor Judy. Or get a hold of me. Or get a hold of somebody and say, Tom, this is the area that I can't get freedom in. Will you help me? And we'll do our best to make a plan. But I can only hold you accountable to what you're willing to do. Make sense? No one should leave here tonight feeling like I can't do this. God doesn't love me. I'm feeling like I'm a piece of trash. You know, I'm going to go eat worms. That's not the point of tonight's message. The point of tonight's message is that each one of us needs to repent of one area or another and we need more Jesus. Amen? Each one of us needs more Jesus. So in the best of my ability to articulate, in love, repent. For the kingdom of God is near. If the kingdom of God is near, that means He's near. And all we have to do is turn and He's right there waiting to to give us this giant hug of love and say, I love you. Continue to try to do it my way. I promise you I'm going to lead you to better things. And it's scary, I know. But it's worth it. You just bow your heads with me. Lord, I thank you so much. I thank you for all that you're doing in our lives. Lord, I thank you for each person that's here. Lord, I pray that you would come and into these areas that we're struggling with and plant a seed that will bear fruit. Lord, that you get into that area and start to mess up that sin. Lord, that your love for us will not allow us to continue in that sin and feel comfortable. I pray that there would be giant changes that begin to take place this very night, Lord. That your power, your presence begins to come over us in these areas and it gives us a strength that is far beyond our ability to do these things. That your grace is sufficient to help us to change. It empowers us on to new things. It empowers us on to be more like Christ. So Lord, I pray that you would supernaturally move in this place tonight. Whether it's renewing a mindset or healing an area in our heart or breaking off a sin behavior. Lord, that each one of us feels empowered and encouraged and loved so that we can chase after you. Lord, I thank you for all that you're doing. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen, amen, amen.